0: Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me and get your notebooks out and if you need a pen, go grab a pen. We'll have notes for you guys tonight. We're picking up tonight in verse 11, but what I'd like to do is begin at the beginning of chapter 2 again. We'll read all the way through verses 12 and tonight we'll focus on verses 11 through 12. So beginning in verse 1. as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense." Father, we do thank you again for your word. For the power that we find in your word and the power from the Holy Spirit to illumine our eyes to understand the word. That's what we pray for tonight, God, that we would understand what your word is saying. We would recognize truth, apply truth, love truth, live out truth, proclaim truth. Lord, tonight I pray that you would rebuke us, admonish us exhort us, encourage us, strengthen us, equip us, all for your name's sake. And as we'll see in this passage, for the sake of souls around us, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, I'll also say it's fun to be back at Refuge. I don't think I've been this year, and I was only a couple times, I think, in the spring and a couple times before that. So this is like my fifth Refuge in a year and a half. And it's good to be back. I love Refuge. We were thanking God for what he's done in Refuge Before Refuge Tonight over the last eight years, it's amazing. So I'm grateful that you guys are here. So Peter um, has been laying down, similar to how Paul does, these doctrinal truths. What God has done in salvation. Uh, You got to see a couple weeks ago how this idea of the temple and God's dwelling place has now been progressing to he dwells with his people, namely us, those whom he has redeemed. And actually, verses 11 through 12, scholars kind of all agree on this is a a huge transition part in this letter. You go from some really solid theology to now, like, this is how you're supposed to live. And he kind of gives a heading in verses 11 through 12. Abstain from these things, keep your conduct in, in this way, let that be a witness and a testimony among people around you, and then you're going to see in the verses to come that what that looks like with authorities and governments and your culture and marriages and friendships and circumstances, specifically suffering. So this is a huge transition part of this whole letter that Peter writes, and actually I was thinking about it, you know, the title of this year's refuge with 1 Peter is Holy Exiles, and you actually see that explicitly in our text today. They are exiles. He mentions it for the second time in this letter. And they're to be holy, distinct from the Gentiles, abstaining from things, keeping their conduct in an honorable way. So really, it could be argued um, that these would be two of the theme verses of all of 1 Peter, the entire letter. So it's going to be important for us to lock in. So here's our main statement. It'll be on the screen, and Matt can leave it up there so you can write it down in your notebooks. But this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Since we do not belong to this world, we must live in a daily war of abstaining from old ways of life and maintaining new ways of life for the sake of eternal life. I'm going to say that again, and you'll have an opportunity to write that down. Since we do not belong to this world, we must live in a daily war of abstaining from old ways of life and maintaining new ways of life for the sake of eternal life. We're going to break down that statement in our text tonight. But here's the two main words I want you to remember. Abstain, maintain. You should write those or underline those in that actual uh, statement right there. Those are the two most important words for you to understand about being in a holy exile. And Peter's point here, you are to abstain from certain things and you're to maintain A lifestyle of certain things. So let's break down this statement in several different ways. The first part is, since we do not belong to this world, and the first thing I want us to notice is that we need to know our identity. If you look again at verse 11, verses 9 through 10 talks about really what God has done, who he's called you to be. You belong to him, and verse 11 sums it up by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles Now, in the very beginning of 1 Peter, in chapter 1, you see that he calls them exiles. They were dispersed over all these different places. And so they're living in lands that were not their home. So this has a very real, practical, and present understanding for these. Many of them, most of them are Jews. There were some converted Gentiles who would be called into true Israel. But regardless, they've been dispersed. That means they've been set out to all these different places. They've been exiled, cast out of their native land, and they're living among pagans, namely, they're, they're living in other countries, literally, that aren't their home. And Peter is using this word exile to show a twofold thing. Hey, not only are you living in a land that is not your home here on earth, but the whole earth actually isn't your home. So live as an exile in the manner of life in which you're living in your culture, just like you stick out, but let that be an example, a real-life illustration, application of how you are supposed to stand out on earth in general. We see that in chapter 1. So Peter's language of sojourning and being exiles rings especially true among these people. And as mentioned, Peter was less concerned about how they were living according to their earthly home country or in other countries. And and Peter was more concerned about how they are to live as strangers on earth, namely as citizens of God's kingdom. And so verse 11 starts with this word, beloved. Some of your uh, translations may say, say, dear friends, really is not the best use of that uh, because it's beloved agape toy it's it's claiming God's love it's saying literally you who are loved by God you ought to live in this manner so because God has loved you he's chosen you as a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession therefore because you belong to him and therefore now your home is in heaven with Christ live in such a manner where this world is strange to you. You're sojourning. You're an alien or an exile or a pilgrim. You're living temporarily in a place that is not your home. And so while you're in this temporary place, still maintain the lifestyle of where you really are from, what will be your permanent residence. So the question Peter is proposing is this. How ought we live in this world in a manner that is worthy of the next world? What way should I conduct my lifestyle here in this earth, knowing that it will dissolve? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, Peter says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since the world is fading away, it's passing away, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? He proposes that exact question. Since everything is fading away, I want you to think about people, believers, Christians, how should your life look? How should you be living? And this word living isn't just this aspect of you know point A to point D, the span of your life and hitting the highlights. It's actually meant to get in the nitty-gritty, which is what he's going to be talking about. Keep your conduct, your way of life, and even more explicit than that, keep every minute detail of your life cognizant of the fact that you don't belong here and you're not going to spend eternity here. And do this in a manner of holiness, holy exile, and godliness. You're looking towards Christ. I went to Kazakhstan in 2005. I got to go to Kazakhstan and Germany. We were doing like this singing mission trip. I don't, you know, apparently that's a thing. And uh, I remember when we first landed in Kazakhstan, the translator, her name was oh I forgot her name, started with a B, and she came up. She was awesome. Made the best green tea in the entire world. And she came up to us in a very non-offensive way, but it was kind of offensive. She's like, so hey, here's the three rules. Uh, Americans are loud, and they wear flashy clothing, and they're arrogant. And people here hate them. So while you're here, please blend in and don't stick out like a sore thumb. Please don't, like, in just a normal, she meant like a normal conversation, and and I'm I'm like, I'm really loud. A normal conversation, my wife looks at me, she's like, why are you yelling? Shh. And then flashy clothing, like we always have to have something written on our shirt, you know what I mean? Or it's colorful, and it's extreme, and Kazakhstan is known for its poverty, so they don't have the kind of money to be able to invest in fashion and things like that. And then, just this arrogance, this way about you, where you walk, you think you know everything. It was interesting, because I'm, I'm reflecting on that, and I'm like, it's a pretty accurate description, actually, of Americans. I can't really be offended. I am loud, sometimes overly flashy and arrogant, and that is the persona. The point is that in Kazakhstan, they were able to point out very quickly somebody who was American. There was a manner of life in which they go, yeah, that person's not from here. Now, that's the sad part is, is they didn't like Americans, Right, So you can almost translate that and think, okay, so Peter is saying, look, you're in foreign lands, you're Jewish. Now, these are Messianic Jews, they have affirmed Christ, they believe in the gospel, they have these converted Christians who are living in these other places. And what is known about Christians in this time is that like, they're cannibals. And why do they believe they're cannibals? Because they partook of the Lord's Supper, they would eat flesh. And blood. They thought that they were uh, full of incest because they would call each other brother and sister and kiss one another. And they were known to be like these snotty, arrogant people who abstained from the games and politics and army. So they were just like were this annoying people that thought they were too good for the, for uh, these people, and they were thought to be actually worshiping false gods because they would not submit to Roman gods and other deities depending on where they were. They had this flavor about them that people did not like and Peter is going to do two things in this text today. He's going to say, it is good that you're distinct, but you need to be distinct in a certain way. So the point he's going to get at is you shouldn't be distinct in an American way in Kazakhstan. You should be distinct in a manner in which you are Christ, living like Christ in a fallen world. You think about our culture, you can spot a foreigner if you walk outside. You you can tell by the way they look, act, eat, speak, just like people can spot an American in any other country. And Peter is saying people should notice Christians. But we don't want them just to know that we're distinct and different in how we eat and speak and act and play and think and work. But we want how we're different to be a witness, a bold witness to the world That is something that draws them in and makes people attractive to the gospel. If you remember, Peter just finished reminding them, that you talked about last week, of the depths of their new identity. A chosen race, an elect people. God picked them out according to his own mercy. They're kingly and a royal priesthood. They have access given to them to their very creator of the world. They're a holy nation, a set-apart kingdom, a people for his own possession. And that last part is big in verse uh, 10. A people for his own possession. In other words, you don't belong to yourself, right? And not only do you not belong to yourself, but you are not to live for yourself. So it's not just this in standing, I know I'm not my own, but live according to what you know. Live like you actually belong somewhere else and to someone else, as he mentioned earlier. The world's going to dissolve. You're a sojourner. Therefore, Peter says, I'm going to remind you, you're chosen, you're called... And and the verse says, so that you would proclaim the praises or the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. It's as if Peter is saying in verse 10, you used to be a nobody. You had no purpose, no hope, no reason to abstain from anything or be distinct. But now you have received mercy. You've become a people. You have a purpose. You have a family. You have an eternal home. You belong to me and to my kingdom. Therefore, beloved, those loved of God, Live as a stranger. Live as an exile. Stand out. All right, the second thing. Since we do not belong to this world, we must live in a daily war of abstaining from old ways of life. Now, so number two. Number one is know your identity. Number two, abstain from your old way of life. If you look at verse 11 again. I urge you, beloved, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. All right, so as a sojourner, as an exile on the earth, we are called to abstain from certain normals of the world. The desires of the flesh are natural. And it's natural to give into them in our world. Hence, you have people who are greedy, people who are very sexual, people who are very angry, people who are driven by money or driven by power or driven by fame. And no one actually looks down on that in the world. Uh, It is encouraged because what? It's, It's a worldly desire. And people who are of the world think that that's the purpose of life. That is what you should do. And so if we belong to the world, if we believers who did once belong to the world still belong to the world, that's how we should live. And Peter actually says several times in this whole letter, you used to be of the world. That's how you used to live, but you've been rescued from that, so no longer live like that. Don't indulge them in those things. And so we don't indulge, we don't live in the same manner because we are strangers and we are exiles. This old manner of life is shown in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. He calls it passions of former ignorance. That's an important word. We'll talk about it in a second. And then in verse 18, he refers to this old manner of life as futile ways, foolish ways, ways that are acting upon darkness. So that ignorance and that futile, they work together. And they're futile and they're ignorant because the world doesn't know this, but they lead to death, which is the point that he's saying here, hey, these passions of your flesh are waging against your soul. They're futile and they're ignorant because they lead to death. We see this in our text tonight. They wage war against the soul. The passions are ignorant. They're futile because they serve no good purpose. And the purpose of fame or bodily satisfaction or fill in the blank is all futile and ignorant because once you get it, you want more and you still live with no purpose, no hope for eternity. In chapter 2, verses 1, we read it again tonight at the beginning, we see some examples that Peter gives of this former manner of life. Malice, he says, malice. You used to live with malice, means wickedness. Second word is deceit, which is really just fraud, cunning. Then hypocrisy, so insincerity. You're wearing a mask, envy or jealousy, and then slander, this backbiting, this evil speaking about one another and towards one another, even Lying. These are just a few examples that Peter says. This is how you used to give in to the passions of your flesh. It's how people act around you. You're to abstain from these things. Now the word abstain means distance yourself. So be distant from these passions. Abstain. Stay away from the passions of your flesh. That which does not serve God nor make us distinct. Move away from it. If it is something That is what the world would do. We should ask ourselves whether or not we should participate or abstain. And if it is okay to participate, we should at the very least be participating differently, which is what he's going to argue in a second. Now this verse is important because it's commanded to believers. And he's saying, hey, you believers, you who have Christ in you, abstain from the old passions of your former way of life, which will come up and try to destroy you. Now this is actually in some ways encouraging because many people today who profess Christ or have a belief in Christ really wrestle with this aspect of assurance because they might still wrestle with sin or they struggle with sin or they're going, if, if I am a believer, if I'm truly a believer, why am I desiring this? Why am I longing after that? Why am I acting like this or speaking like this? Well, Peter makes an acknowledgement here that even, even a believer will still wrestle with passions from the old man. The word... For passions here is a epithemia, and it, I I remembered it when I was learning Greek. This is this has nothing to do with the message tonight, but I remembered Chase. You just you're doing this so epithemia. I used to always remember that's like lust or to desire or you know passion because I always thought ah oh, lust epithemia. It wants epithemia. It wants a piece of me with a lisp. Okay. Anyways, cool. That's how you can remember the Greek word for passions. Epithemia. Want the epithemia? Okay. Uh, anyways, he says, hey, avoid. Avoid these things. Be estranged. And actually, what's really neat about the word abstain here, too, is that it's talking, it's a present tense. It's saying continually distance yourself. It's not like this one-time action where, no, i got to stay away from that. It is, you've got to continually do that. In every aspect of your life, you've got to always distance, distance yourself. And what are you abstaining from exactly? Epithemia the passions of the flesh, anything that does not serve God or make you distinct. So this verse reveals that the passions of the old man, the sinful desires, they will still remain active in the believer's life. Swallow that pill. In your life as a believer, you will have passions until you die that are distinct to the world. They're evil desires. They're sinful passions. And they will creep up every day in your life. And Peter says, as they creep up, abstain from them. Distance yourself from them. In other words, he's showing that these passions still have power in a believer's life, or opportunity for power. They still have influence, maybe that's the better word, in the hearts of the Christian. But the difference for the believer is that now we can abstain from. Because we can choose greater affections and therefore rid ourselves of anything that feeds this power and influence. In other words, the Holy Spirit has broken the passion's rule and domination in our lives. So we can and we will have victory over sin, over passions. Now, abstaining from them implies that these desires are not uncontrollable. That's really good news. So you as a believer, when these passions creep up and they want to tempt you or test you or put you to trial you got to remember the fact that Peter says abstain from them lets you know that you have the ability to abstain from them. Now, this is encouraging because Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are unable to. They cannot. And so we know that those in the Spirit, therefore, can. So the encouragement is when you can abstain from evil desires, you're showing fruit of, oh, I have the Spirit of God living within me. You have the ability in Christ to consciously distance yourself and restrain yourself from these lusts. And the reason that Peter gives that we need to abstain from these passions is because he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which what? Wage war against your soul. The word for war here comes from the the Greek word soldier. He's, He's basically saying the passions, plural, are acting as soldiers of the devil's army. It's, it's th- this waging war. The war has been waged. The devil wants to come, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He's roaring around like a, a lion seeking someone to devour. And the way you see this happening is he has these soldiers. That's what this word war means here. These passions of the old man that he accomplished through the fall with Adam and Eve, are now living in every depraved person who's born. And your passions, those evil sinful desires, Peter says, those are soldiers of the devil's army. And so when you have a passion of the flesh come up, know that this isn't just some kind of neutral thing that you got to say no to. This is a soldier of the devil seeking to destroy not your body, not your joy, Not your mind, but what? Your soul. The devil wants these soldiers to break through all the boundaries and guardrails and accountability partners that you've set up. The soldiers of the devil, your passions want to come up and creep And That's awesome. You've been having a quiet time for a month. You've been praying without ceasing. You've been setting up these boundaries. You've been serving in these different places. That's amazing. The soldiers of the flesh don't care. Satan's army seeks to overthrow every single one of those boundaries that you've built. And in a moment... You can be destroyed. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, "Give no opportunity to the devil." Uh, when we were in Sunday school t- class talking about Ephesians chapter four, Brain and Harvah said, "Imagine yourself—you de- know—you are in a city and you're trying to defend yourself against the enemy." And when the, it says "give no opportunity," it's saying give no foothold. Don't have any chink in any part of your armor. So imagine that you have your military defending your city all around the city. Paul is saying, in this battle, and Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the battle or the armor of Christ. This is a battle mentality saying, as you're protecting your soul, your witness, your joy, your sanctification, don't think that any part of your walls around your city can just be lax. You can allow it to not be as intense. You might go, I've really got this lust thing under control. I don't struggle with greed. I'm going to focus all my energy here. No, don't give a foothold to the devil. You've got soldiers of the devil, the passions of your flesh, who are coming to seeking to destroy your soul. So we should know as believers that we will daily, and sometimes harder than than other days, you will daily experience strong, warring, fleshly desires. And we could all say, yeah, amen amen to that. Strong, warring desires. In fact, Peter is going to say later in chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, same word, Love of God, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. To what? Test you. As though something strange were happening to you. In other words, expect it. It is not a strange thing. Don't be surprised. These passions will come throughout your life, no matter how much guardrails you've built up and set up. And the desire of these soldiers is to bust down any progress you've made To overcome you with sorrow, not godly sorrow, but worldly sorrow and shame and condemnation and cause you to be totally ineffective in the kingdom of God. To no longer live as a sojourner. It's too hard. To no longer live as an exile. It's too hard. To no longer be distinct. It's too hard. Now to to resist these passions is not easy. And they should be expected. Chapter 1 verse 6 shows us that we will be grieved by various trials To test the genuineness of our faith. And I just read chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So trials come in order to test us. Now the word trials here literally means temptation. And almost 80% of the time it's used in the New Testament, it's referring to a temptation to sin. It's the same word that is used when Jesus was being tempted by the devil. He experienced trials. He was being tempted to give in to sin, to the enemy. And so it's saying, hey, you will be tested by temptations to sin. Don't be surprised when you're tempted to sin. Don't be surprised when the passions of the old man, the old Zach, the old Ryan, the old Courtney creep up every single day and say, hey, you should do this. You should lash out in anger. You should say this word. You should watch that thing. You should fill in the blank.'" It's going to happen. And so Peter says that this is actually the type of suffering that all the believers encounter together. In chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, he says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then verse 9 says this resist him, resist him, abstain, don't give in. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings, the same trials, the same temptations to sin, the same passions warring up in your soul, they're being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So so Peter is saying, beloved, chosen person, you who belong to God, you sojourner, your new life needs to be marked in the fact that you abstain from the passions that are warring against you every day. You should expect... Old desires, sinful desires, anger, lust, greed, laziness, gossip, slander, cursing, coveting, apathy. All of this is going to pop up in different ways, sometimes new ways, sometimes creative ways, every single day, and sometimes in very different ways to absolutely destroy you. So don't be surprised. Expect it. It wants to kill you. It is tempting you to give in to acts of sin. And what you need to do as a sojourner is abstain. Distance yourself. You aren't the only one having to fight like this daily. So look around you and be encouraged and encourage and pray for your brothers and sisters. Live like citizens of the kingdom of God. And you do this by abstaining, by distancing yourself continually. And we need to know that the battle will not be over until Christ comes back. 1 Peter 4, verse 2-5 through hints at this. Where Peter says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh. Live as exile, as a sojourner. The rest of the time that you have in the flesh. The rest of your time. Until Christ back comes back or you die. The rest of your life in the flesh. Don't live for human passions. But for the will of God. For the time that is past. Your old life suffices for doing what the pagans or the Gentiles did. And want to do. Living in sensuality. Passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That time, Peter says, has passed. The rest of the time that you have in the flesh, don't live for those human passions. Live according to the will of God. So, know your identity. Abstain from the old way of living. And number three, maintain a beautiful way of life. This is a a really fun part. Maintain a beautiful way of life. So look at verse 12. Verse 11 is the negative. Don't do this. Verse 12 is do this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The, the Christian life in the word of God and the application of the word of God always has to be this. Don't do this. Rather do this. Verse 11. Don't live like this. Now Peter's going to say, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. Here's how you ought to live. Verse 12 explicitly. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he gives us a negative charge. Don't live this way. Now he gives us a positive. He's implying that this way of living isn't a let go, distance yourself, and let God type of a life. It is a life of both abstaining and maintaining. Maintaining. I say the word maintaining because that's actually what the word keep means. Keep this conduct of life means maintain, literally. Maintain a holy way of life. The word actually implies, the word conduct implies your conversation, your behavior, your mode of life. And the word maintain implies this active stewardship. So actively... Be busy about redeeming the time you have by maintaining, stewarding your speech, your actions, and your entire manner of life. That's why it's so cool to just pause and linger in text. So many times you could read over, keep your conduct, you know, what is it? keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What he's saying is steward and maintain and persevere in your speech and your conduct in every. every fiber of your life. There is an active desire to be engaged in holy things in order that when the passions of the flesh pop up, here's why. If I'm I'm maintaining and stewarding a holy way of living in my speech and my conduct and my action, then I shouldn't be surprised. And when the passions of the flesh come up, I'm maintaining and stewarding a holy spirit filled light to where I go, well, that looks detestable. Why would I do that? If I'm engaged in holy things and I have an opportunity all of a sudden that moment to give into a sinful thing, it's an easy... Well, no. When do you give into sinful things? When you're not full of holy things. When you're not maintaining a holy life. When you're not stewarding and redeeming time and being busy about the things of God. This is why the discipline of abiding in God's word is so crucial. You hear all the time, the spiritual disciplines, read God's word, pray, meditate, memorize, sing, encourage one another. It's so crucial because our lusts, our passions are often impulses that just come up randomly. Or we're tempted or our thoughts are drawn to this because we see or we hear or we remember something. They're just impulses, these passions. They come up randomly sometimes. And so we often are quickly responding or reacting to passions that come up. And this is why Peter is saying maintain a way of life so that when they do pop up, you can react quickly and respond quickly in a biblical manner. And you will do that when you have a holy way of life. We need to be prepared to have godly responses and reactions and how do you do that? The spiritual disciplines. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21 through 22 says, "Hold fast to what is good. Cling. There's a sense of urgency there. Cling to what is good, abstain from every form of evil." And so Paul says, the key to abstaining from every form of evil, abstaining from the old way of life, is to cling Hold fast, squeeze onto that which is good, or excellent, or kalos, and it's actually a form of the word that we see honorable here. You see here, Paul says not just to abstain, but to hold fast what is good. So, so what does that mean? It means pray without ceasing. Boy, who said that? Paul did. Meditate day and night. Boy, who said that? Oh, Joshua and David and Moses. Do not neglect gathering together. Who said that? Oh, the pastor of Hebrews Exhort one another daily. Who said that? The pastor of Hebrews. Seek to outdo one another in showing honor. Who said that? Paul did. Let his praise continually be on our lips. Who said that? The psalmist did. Go about your way with singing and making melody in your heart to Jesus. Who said that? Paul did. Submit to one another. Who said that? Paul did. This is what it means to maintain a new conduct among the Gentiles. Now, Now, here's the thing. It doesn't always mean that we do different things from the world. More often than not, it actually means that we do things differently than the world. The same things. So we eat, we drink, we play, we act, we watch, we listen, and we speak differently. Christians and non-Christians have sex, but Christians have sex differently. Christians and non-Christians drink beer and wine. Christians just do it differently. Christians and non-Christians earn and spend money. Christians just do it differently Christians and non-Christians rest. Christians just do it differently. Christians and non-Christians shop. Christians just do it differently. So it's not always doing different things. It's more often than not doing fine things, good things, but differently. Honorably, he says. But, and, and that's where we say, okay, notice Paul or Peter doesn't say differently. He says honorably. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, not just different. Different won't suffice for Peter. He cares less about being different just for the sake of standing out. That's the reality. Look, too many Christians today stand out and they wear this badge of honor where they're distinct and they're annoying. And they build these trenches that people fall into and they're arrogant and they're helping no cause for the kingdom of God. It looks horrible to the watching world. You guys probably know people like that. Maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you used to be one of those people. Peter doesn't care about you being different and distinct just to stand out. Peter says we need to maintain a way of life among the gentiles that isn't just different it is honorable. Now the word means beautiful excellently worthy which is why I say maintain a beautiful way of life. The word brings along this connotation of it's it's profitable. It's a useful distinction. Many people are distinct and it's not helpful. It's not profitable. It's not useful. He's saying, I care about you guys being distinct in such a way that the watching world looks and goes, Boy, that is a beautiful way to live. I mean, think about that. Think about your life for a moment and go, I wonder if the watching world would look at my conduct, my speech. My way of life. Every fiber, the way I eat, drink, spend money, work in my workplace. And when they go, that is a beautiful life. The best translation really is beautiful. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles beautiful. Be different, but be beautifully different. Have better, beautiful sex. Eat better and more beautiful Play better and more beautiful. Rest better and more beautiful. Spend money more beautiful. This is the Christian life as a sojourner. Abstain and maintain. In everything that we do, and here's one of the biggest application nuggets that you can take home tonight. In everything that you do, say everything. Yes, everything. In everything you do, you need to ask two questions. Number one, should I abstain from this? Is this showing that I belong to Christ? Does this follow the obedience of God's word? Should I abstain? And if you get past the first question and you go, no, I don't need to abstain. I can participate. The second question is, then how do I participate or partake in a manner that is both holy and beautiful? It isn't enough just to do a good thing. You need to do it in a beautiful way a way that says that person does not belong here and boy, their life is beautiful. Don't miss that practical application. Beginning tonight, even in your conversations when you leave tonight, memorize those two words, abstain, maintain, continually throughout your day, tomorrow and the days to come, ask, should I abstain from saying this? Should I abstain from eating this? Should I abstain from going there? Should I abstain from looking at this or watching this? Should I abstain in engaging in this? Should I abstain from playing this? And if it is not sinful for you to abstain, then you should ask, how can I eat in a beautiful way? How can I participate in this in a beautiful way that is excellent and proclaims the excellencies of God who called me out of darkness and into light? This kind of conduct, there's going to be three little phrases on the screen here in a second. This kind of conduct functions in three ways. Here you go, it'll be on the screen. The first way this functions is with a renewed mind. The second way it functions is with a disciplined tongue. And the third way it will function is a controlled body. Now, I actually didn't pull these three things outside of this text. You find it. Again, I go back to the keep your conduct honorable. And remind you that conduct is often translated in different areas as conversation. So we have this disciplined tongue. and, And we need this renewed mind, the beginning part, to show we no longer belong to the world. Therefore, I can't think worldly. I've got to think godly. And I have to have a controlled body. The passions of my flesh are building up. So you see in this text that this new conduct, this new maintaining a beautiful life means these three things. It means, is my mind renewed? Am I thinking here with a biblical worldview? What does the Bible say about this? You should ask that about everything. What does the Bible say about this? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says, Look, take every thought captive to obey Christ. A renewed mind. Then you should ask, is my speech disciplined here? Is it building others up? Am I speaking careless words? Remember, Jesus said you will have to give an account for every careless word that you speak. Is my speech, as Paul says, seasoned with with salt? So, okay, do I have a renewed mind? Am I thinking biblically? What about my words? Am I tactful? Is it seasoned? Am I edifying people? Am I exalting Christ? James 3 is a great passage to meditate over and find out. Is my my speech off like the world or is it honoring God? And the third question you ask when you think about this conduct that is beautiful, is my body under control? When, When these passions come up, is it serving as a servant or a master? Do I need to, remember a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, do I need to bruise my eye? Do I need to punch myself in the face and make it black and blue and say no? Is my body trying to get me to run after another prize in which i got to abstain and i got to treat my body, Paul says, severely, with severity? It's my body under control. Now you may ask, all right, but how do you renew your mind? How do you discipline your tongue? How do you control your body? And you do this through the means of grace that we find in Scripture, mainly the spiritual disciplines. You do it through maintaining a beautiful and biblical life. Prayer, reading, memorizing, singing, serving. But I want you to notice something very crucial here. Lest you just go, oh, I knew he was going to say that. Yeah, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Stop. This isn't like this magical thing where all of a sudden, you know, you you've you're, you're halfway through the year and you've been maintaining every single day your reading plan. You've been memorizing the cornerstone challenge. You've been praying with a friend or your spouse. You've been, uh, you know, you haven't looked at pornography in four months and you're like, okay, I should be feeling something here. There should be a little bit more. This, this isn't saying like, do these things and you'll magically become this person. The point here is you get a renewed mind and a disciplined tongue and a controlled body when you are maintaining this type of lifestyle, In other words, the the godliest person in this world lives in two different ways. Reminders and repetitions. They're like your best friends. Every single day, you need to remind yourself of the things of God. Every single morning, you need to remind yourself that the passions are going to war today. Every day, you need to remind yourself, I've got to keep my eyes on the prize. Remember that Christ is enough. Every single day, you've got to remind yourself that people are passing eternity. Every single day, you've got to realize that everything you own will pass away or burn, Right? And so all of it is worthless compared to Christ. You've got to remind yourself of biblical truths every single day. And repetition is the next part. Repeat it. Teach yourself. Discipline yourself. People sometimes will come to the word of God or spiritual disciplines and, and use it as a means to just get something else that they want, which really isn't Christ. It's, I don't want to live with guilt anymore. I don't want to live with condemnation anymore anymore. But the, the reality that Peter and Paul and Jesus and the rest of the, the, the Bible tells us is that this, these spiritual graces, these spiritual disciplines, act in such a way that they're transforming your affections. They're transforming your desires. They're reminding you every single day that Christ is better. And they're repeating this every single day that you should be running after a better prize. And the comfort is you know that you're not running alone. Other people are running this same right. So how do do you renew your mind? How do you discipline your tongue? How do you control your body? Every single day, maintain a lifestyle of persevering, persevering, persevering in the spiritual disciplines and pray namely this, "God, God, give me greater delight in you. God, give me greater delight in you. God, give me greater delight in you. talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the fourth and final thing. So one, remember your identity. Know your identity. Number two, abstain from the old way of living. Number three, maintain a beautiful way of living. And number four, abstain and maintain for the sake of eternal life. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation, the day of visitation here has some argument, but most people believe it would be when the Lord appears either in judgment or mercy. But the implication of this text is that the manner of your life in which you live, if it is beautiful, the world that is rejecting God may be attracted to God through the means of your living and be saved. That's Peter's point here. Here's the reality. The world around you is either hostile towards you or it's suspicious about you, right? Either people hate you or they're kind of like, what's up? They either hate God and hate us and seek to persecute and afflict us or they're curious and suspicious and seeking to understand. And what what they're doing is they are observing us. They're watching how we live. Why we do the things we do. Why we say the things that we say. Why we act the way we act. And what what does Peter say that we should do to those who are hostile and suspicious? Did he say speak? Did he say debate? No, he says live beautifully. Maintaining this day by day, in every part of your day, and for a specific purpose. The Christian life is one of war, and it's one of witness. And the reason that we remain and engage in the war is for the sake of witnessing. One of the main purposes that Peter gives here is, hey, abstain, distance yourself from sin, and maintain this conduct so that the watching world will look and go, that's a beautiful way of life, and then in turn, through the means of God drawing them through our lifestyle, love Christ and be born again. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Now, what he's saying is, and he says before this, Beloved, those beloved by God, God is not slow in coming back. People are like, why hasn't Christ returned yet? Where is he? Is he coming back? Is he going to fulfill the promise? And Peter's saying, God is not slow. He's patient toward you, beloved, not wishing that any of the beloved of God should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words... Peter is saying the reason Christ has not yet come back is because there are more people to be saved. And because there's more people to be saved, I want to tell you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that a way in which you will win unbelievers is by living beautifully, abstaining from the old way of life and maintaining a new beautiful way of life. Peter, in fact, shows us that the goal of our conduct is that unbelievers will find our way of life beautiful and be drawn to Christ. In other words, one more time, Our conduct, how you and me live, is a means that God uses to draw people to himself. Now, this is amazing because Peter is literally saying, Hey, there are some people in your life who will be saved through observing your way of life. Now, just pause and think about that. Think about those in your life who are unbelievers. And you think, well, what do I got to do? Well, I got to share Christ with them. I got to pray for them, right? I got to pray they got to put somebody else in their life. And what we often neglect is that Peter showed, this is a passage that shows one of the ways God saves your mom, your cousin, your friend, your coworker, is in the fact that they're observing how you live your life. And here's the key. Peter's saying, they're not observing how you uh, maintain a Sunday lifestyle. They're not observing how you maintain a... Financial lifestyle, they're observing every part of your life every day. Going, are they different? Is it beautiful? Are they a bunch of whack jobs that hold on to this Christian clutch because they don't want to go to hell? I don't, or is it beautiful? And what's amazing is that when you are consistent in every aspect of your life of maintaining and stewarding this holiness and living in such a way that this world doesn't belong to me, and you're full of joy, and you're full of courage, and you're full of faith, and you're full of calmness and gentleness and kindness, people go, no, I like they're real. They're real. And Peter says, you want to reach people in your life? Maintain a beautiful way of life. Your complaining, your gossip, your drunkenness, your addictions, your anger, your laziness, your apathy, none of that is beautiful. None of that proclaims that your way of living is worth living. It's a hindrance. It's what Paul calls a trench. And if you wonder why you feel ineffective in the gospel, it probably has less to do with how you proclaim the gospel with your words, and more about the demonstration of the gospel that you live with your actions. What's your work ethic like? Do you talk poorly about other coworkers or your boss? Do you treat your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your friend or your parents dishonorably with a lack of respect? Are are you lazy? Do you waste hours upon hours a day Are you just moody all the time? Are you depressed? Do you complain? Are you mean to people? Do you use people? Do you waste money? Do you show that you love things? Do you covet? Are you uh, jealous? What is distinct and beautiful about that? The world looks at a person that lives like that and says, "I I have Christ, I have eternal life. You should come and live like me. And they're like, you're miserable. I don't believe anything you have to say. There's nothing beautiful about that. Peter's saying, don't be a hindrance. Paul says, don't be a trench. Don't build trenches. Live with kindness and humility. And if need be, suffer. And turn the other cheek. And love. And have confidence in truth. And be consistent with your worldview. And serve people with love. And be generous. All of that goes, that's a beautiful person with a beautiful life. I want it. They call you unloving, be loving. If you're known as a boring person, be joyous and happy. If they know you as an arrogant, prideful person, be humble. What do people say about you? Take that into account and realize that your manner of life is one of the most effective witnesses that you have. And then, you'll notice that Peter will say later, then you will have an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within you. I love that verse because it shows the two things that are necessary for believers in their witness. Some people say, just live in a manner that's all you need. You don't need words, just live, and that will attract people. Well, at some point, you're going to have to use words, right? Otherwise, they just will see virtue. And then other people are like, oh, just, just preach, 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 preach. And the lifestyles don't match the preaching. But Peter says, later on, you'll, you'll get to it, live in such a manner that people will come to you and ask you for the reason of the hope that is within you. And he says, be prepared to give an answer. That's the beauty. Well, that means you've got to be in the word. You've got to know the word. You've got to know the gospel. And when you know the gospel, you're going to live in such a manner that is worthy and beautiful. And you'll have a reason, an opportunity to give for the hope that is within you. Peter says, in the very thing in which they speak against you, when they observe how you continually, day by day, moment by moment, are abstaining and maintaining, they will glorify God. And the implication is in a salvific way. And the implication here is, as they keep on watching you, and you keep on living beautifully, that's when they may be saved. So it really is a call for perseverance. It's a call for warfare. It's a call to abstain from things daily. It's a call to engage in beautiful things daily. It's a call to show the world, where you are temporarily, currently living, that the prize you are running after is worthy of abstaining and maintaining. And then you get to invite them to run with you, and you get to encourage them and be your cheerleader, telling them to persevere and press on. Many, many will be converted, not by a random beautiful act of yours, but a continual maintained lifestyle that is absolutely beautiful. So no matter the circumstance, no matter the temptation that comes up to destroy you and seeks to make you look not beautiful, you are called to abstain and maintain, knowing that you are a sojourner for the sake of your own soul, that it may not be destroyed, and for the sake of the souls around you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for fruitful discussion in small groups. I pray for other scripture to come to mind. I pray for your spirit's leading. I pray against distractions. I pray that we would be encouraged and feel equipped uh, with a new desire and plan of how to live for you. Help us, Lord, even as we leave, to be remembering, I don't belong here. I'm called to abstain and maintain which is which. And Lord, help us to do it in a manner for the purpose of those who are dying around us. That they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.